It's been such a great day, hasn't it? And so far we've seen baptism, which is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Hello. Um, We've seen... These lights are more blue than they usually are, aren't they? Um, We've seen worship, Jesus be lifted up. We've seen beautiful scripture reading. It's just been such a great day to worship the Lord. The bad news is it all goes downhill from here, because I'm preaching. Um, But in all seriousness, no, I I love lifting up the name of Jesus together through song. And I, I really love lifting up the name of Jesus together through his word. If you're new, I've seen a couple new faces, or maybe if you just need a refresher, like the video just showed, we're currently walking through a series called True and Better, where we're looking at different stories throughout the Old Testament, seeing how Jesus is the true and better blank. We've seen so far that Jesus is the true and better Adam, Abraham, Noah, Jacob, Moses, and so on and so on. But we've also seen more than just people Jesus is the true and better rock and bread and water and even law. And this was so encouraging for me to see how all of Scripture is pointing us to Jesus. And it's honestly been such a good reminder of why Jesus is just so worthy of our worship. Last week, we were blessed to hear Bob St. John preach from Exodus 20, showing that Jesus is the true and better law. We saw clearly that This law that God gave. And then we saw the hopelessness of man to fulfill this holy law. And we saw the good news that Jesus fulfills and satisfies the law completely. And this reality that Jesus is the true and better law is a perfect segue into the next book of the Bible we'll be focusing on, which is Leviticus. Even just to have the name Leviticus, this book sounds like one of the most daunting books in all the Bible. I'm sure most of us probably couldn't even spell it. And when I was interning for another local youth pastor, we were on a retreat and he said something along the lines of when I go in Tucker's room at 3 a.m., his guys are either going to be doing something stupid and illegal or they're going to be studying Leviticus. And to this day, I feel like that's probably the most accurate description anyone has ever given of me. And I'm sure he would be extremely proud of the fact that I'm finally getting a chance to preach the book today. Actually, Justin was so kind as to tell me to preach the entire book of Leviticus. And I know he had you in mind when he said that, because if he preached it, we would have been here until three. But anyways, we have no time to waste. And before we read the book, we need to know a little bit more about the book. So Leviticus, the word is a Latin Greek word, which means about Levites. The Levites were the tribe of Israel where the priests were drawn from. The first, who we've already seen a lot of in Exodus and who we'll see today, being Aaron. These priests were responsible for maintaining Israel's worship practices, with the biggest being to make sacrifices on behalf of the people, and they were to promote holy living. And while this book wasn't written to the Levites, almost all of the content is about the Levites, hence the name Leviticus. And this book gives great insight into the holiness of God, the holy standard his people must live by, and the sacrificial system that was put in place by God for his people. So now that we've had our 60 seconds crash course on the whole book, let's dive into it. My hope today is that as we dive into this beefy book, we will walk away ultimately seeing that Christ is the true and better priest and sacrifice. But in order to get there, we have a lot of ground to cover 
beforehand. So before we get to priest and sacrifice, let's look at a couple of prerequisite truths that we must be that must be understood. As we learned last week, God has given his people very clear instructions and commands to follow through the law. And God did this because he is holy and no one can rightly stand in the presence of God without being completely holy themselves. In Leviticus, we see this reality on display again, but we also begin to see a very deep problem that has no immediate solution. So first, we must realize that God has given a holy standard. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5 says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So Leviticus tells us that following the Lord's statutes means life. But lack of perfect obedience means death. Leviticus 19, 2 says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. This holy, righteous God requires holiness from his people. Leviticus chapter 20, verses 22 through 24 say, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nations that I am driving out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. So we see that God has given his people a holy standard to live by so that they would be like him and unlike the rest of the detestable peoples in the world. And it's important for us to see, too, that this holy standard is not simply an Old Testament requirement. Look at Peter's words in 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So Peter actually uses this call to holiness from Leviticus 19 to charge the New Testament church to pursue holiness. Because that is a clear standard that God has set. But then as we see God's standard on display, the other really bad truth we see is that people are insufficient sinners. Leviticus chapter four, verse two and verse 13 and verse 22. And then in chapter five, verses 15 and 17 and many, many more all say something along the lines of if anyone sins in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done in this moment. It's implied in this text, and we see a very clear reality that God's people are unable to perfectly live by this holy, sinless standard. And again, this reality holds true in the New Testament. Romans chapter 3, verses 20 and 23 say, For by works of the law, no human being will ever be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So here we stand in the book of Leviticus in a place where a holy standard must be met, but the people of God are insufficient and unable to meet it. So what now? What happens? Here's the beautiful truth I pray that we would marvel at today. By God's grace, even in Leviticus, we see how God plans for sinners to be brought into communion with him. 
We see how God plans for sinners to be brought into communion with him. And in short, this plan that God has is through the priest by way of the sacrifice. Leviticus chapter 16 gives us great insight into how this is meant to play out. And we learn a lot about the priest and the sacrifice here and why they're each such big deals. So if you would, please stand and we're going to read Leviticus chapter 16 together. So we'll start in chapter one, but we will jump around a little bit as we go through it. So bear with me. Starting in verse one of chapter 16. This is what the Lord says. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. And skip up to verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus, he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some blood of the bo- some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of his of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place in the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. And skip up to verses 32 and 33. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for your word. God, in this text alone, we see the seriousness of your holiness and the severity of our sin. Give us clarity as we dissect your truth that we would see Christ as the true and better priest and sacrifice for your glory and for our good. It's in his name we pray. Amen. To sum it up in one word, I think it's safe to say that this text is astonishing. And through this text, we gain clarity on the role the priest and sacrifice play on the Day of Atonement, as it's called. The first role in this text we'll look at is the priest. And from this text, we see at least three critical truths to understand about who the priest is and what the priest practically does. First, we see that the priest was essential. In verses 1 through 2, we learn that the holy place, which is the place where God himself dwells among his people, cannot be accessed by simply anyone at simply any time. Verse 1 very quickly says, after the death of the two sons of Aaron. And this doesn't seem significant, but it is. In Leviticus 10, we learn why the sons of Aaron died. Simply because they went into the holy place and gave her an offering of fire to the Lord. But because the Lord did not call for this, and because they are not the priest, they died. Then in verse 2, God tells Moses not to come into the holy place unless he is summoned by God, or else he would die. So only the priest is able to come and make sacrifices for sin when the Lord calls him. And knowing the weight of that role, all the people of Israel knew without a doubt that the priest was essential. Second, we see that the priest was holy. Wait a minute. Didn't we just discuss how no one is able to live up to this holy standard? So how in the world is this priest considered holy? Well, because God dwells in the holy place. In order to enter the holy place, one must be completely holy. So even as Aaron enters the holy place, he must make a sacrifice for himself in order to cleanse his and his family's sin. And then ultimately we see in verses 3 through 5 that God commands Aaron to put on outer garments of holiness in order to enter the holy place. This reminds Aaron of the holiness of God and humbles him in his presence. So in order for Aaron, this priest, to enter the holy place, we see a temporary cleansing and the apparel of holiness put on by Aaron as commanded by God. This was the only way for a priest to go into the holy place and make sacrifice for the sins of God's people. And third and finally, we see that the priest made atonement. To atone for something means to cover And in this sense, when we read about atonement, we're reading about the priest making atonement for sin. Or in other words, the priest is covering the sin of the people. This doesn't mean he's hiding their sin, but that the sin is being washed away by the sacrificial blood of this goat. Let's read verses 32 and 33 one more time. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement. 
wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. What we see in these verses is that everything the Israelites touch is tainted by their sin. And if you read back earlier, each of these places where atonement is made is a place where Aaron is commanded to sprinkle blood. Atonement is made when the sacrificial blood covers sin. And this reality leads us to the other crucial role on on display in this text. Sacrifice. The sacrifice we see here is very unique because Aaron is called to bring two goats as a single sin offering. This was completely new at the time for the people of Israel. Up until now, one animal has served as one offering. But here things change. In this text, we begin to see sacrifice from a new perspective. And again, we see at least three critical aspects of sacrifice on display. First, we see that this is a sacrifice of substitution. This is the sacrifice the people of God were used to seeing and performing. And this is the one that most of us are probably most familiar with. In verses 15 through 19, God commands that one goat be slain as a sacrifice for sin. In order for their forgiveness to be obtained, death had to occur. So this goat is sacrificed and the blood of the goats is used to cover and make atonement for sin. The punishment, death for sin has been given to this goat rather than the people. And now the people can experience forgiveness. God's wrath has been appeased so his people can experience mercy. This was the reason for the first goat. The second goat shows us a new aspect of sacrifice in the Old Testament, and it's the sacrifice of separation. In verses 20 through 22, God gives very specific commands that show us the purpose of this goat. God says Aaron is to lay both of his hands on the head of this live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel. So Aaron places all the people's transgressions and sins on the head of this goat. And then he doesn't kill it. He sends it out into the wilderness to, as Leviticus says, bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area. God commanded this because it represents the separation of the people of Israel from their sin. The forgiveness of their sin wasn't the only piece of the puzzle anymore. But this radical separation where the people of Israel were no longer tied to and no longer identified with any of their sin. And this this sacrifice of suffering and the sacrifice of separation were super important for the people of Israel. And it was how sin was forgiven and forgotten. But there's one other aspect of this sacrifice that can't go unnoticed. And while it isn't explicitly stated in this chapter... In several other places in Leviticus, it's very clear that this must be so. And that's of any sacrifice, including this one, is that this sacrifice must be a spotless sacrifice. Flip over a couple of pages in your Bible to Leviticus chapter 22. And let's look at verses 20 and 21 of this chapter together. Verse 20 says, you shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. 
And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. This passage makes it pretty clear, right? No sacrifice would ever be accepted if it wasn't perfect. Why? Well, like we saw before, God requires complete holiness and perfection. So in order for a sacrifice to properly atone for sin, it must be completely perfect. It must be spotless. If you've ever happened to eat a meal with me or watch me eat at a fellowship lunch or something, it will be very easy for you to see that I'm a very, very messy eater. It's just who I am. But the problem with this, though, is that I also really love nice white clothes. And these two things don't go well together. I'd say genuinely, at least four of the five times when I eat, 80% of the time when I eat, I get food on my clothes in some way. It happened yesterday. But guess what happens when I get home? My lovely, wonderful, patient, gracious wife works her tail off to get that stain of food out of my shirt. And 99% of the time, she's successful. But here's the thing. If I get a big salsa stain on my shirt and we simply just wash it with water, that stain will still be there. But if we get a, a bleach pen or OxyClean or whatever y'all use nowadays and, and scrub, 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 that stain may actually come completely out. The stain can be removed, but it requires certain tools to be successfully removed. And if we don't have these certain tools, a stain will always be present in that shirt. In that same way, for the people of Israel, sin had left a stain that couldn't be removed by just any old animal. It had to be a perfect, spotless animal that had absolutely no blemishes. Then and only then could the stain of sin be removed completely. And this Leviticus passage gives us some pretty incredible insight into the role of the priest and the role of the sacrifice and why it mattered so much in the Old Testament. But the question we've yet to answer that is probably the most pressing is why does any of this stuff matter now? Because to my knowledge, Justin and the elders don't have a secret room in the back where they sacrifice goats once a week for us. So what's the deal? Why does it matter now? The reality of it is, though, is that this truth, this passage, all this stuff is much more relevant to us than we could ever imagine. We'll begin to see a glimpse of this miraculous truth as we look to Christ. But before we do, let me remind you, we are in the exact same shoes as the Israelites. As people, God has set a holy standard that must be upheld. But we are insufficient to hold that standard. Regardless of who you are, when you come into the world, you are under God's law. That law being what we talked about last week. And to be more specific, let's just think about the Ten Commandments. What we learn in Scripture is that none of us can ever come close to living up to these holy standards. For example, one commandment I'm sure we're all familiar with says, you shall not murder. And I'd assume most of us in here haven't actually physically murdered anyone. But when Jesus came, he revealed that simply the outward act of murdering someone isn't what earns you the title of murderer. But if you've ever felt anger and hatred in your heart, 
you are completely guilty of murder and you will be held accountable. Not only if you felt anger or hatred in your heart, but if you've ever expressed anything that wasn't of love, murder. You're not just an adulterer if you've cheated on your spouse. You're an adulterer if you've ever looked at any individual lustfully. Adulterer. We, the more we dive into the law, see that we are in desperate need of saving because we are the definition of lawbreakers, which puts us in the exact same shoes as the Israelites in the Old Testament. In Leviticus, what we've seen is that at this time, God gave his people a large number of priests and sacrifices to cover their sin. But what we see now is that God has given us one great high priest. And one once for all sacrifice. Christ. Church, Jesus is the true and better priest. And Jesus is the true and better sacrifice. Staying with these same truths that we've seen in Leviticus, let's look at the New Testament to see how Christ has completely fulfilled each of these roles in a much more true and much better way. First, let's look at Jesus' priest. As we saw the priest in Leviticus to be essential, we also see that Jesus is essential. Remember, the priest's role was to enter into the presence of God in the holy place on behalf of his people. Because no one was holy and no one was able to be in communion with God or even be in his presence. When you think of that, look at Jesus' words in John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father Except through me. In Hebrews 9, 11 and 12. But when Christ appeared as a what? High priest of the good things that have come. Then through the greater and more perfect tent. Not made with hands that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves. But by means of his own blood. Thus securing an eternal redemption. Here's a good news church. Jesus as the priest did in Leviticus, has entered into the holy places and is interceding for us on behalf or interceding on our behalf to God. But not only is Jesus interceding for us, he grants us access to God himself. Look at Hebrews 10, 19. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he's opened for us through the curtain. Jesus gives us access to God and he himself said only he can do this. No one comes to the father except through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus alone, our great high priest, we can know and be with the father. Second, just as we saw that the priest in Leviticus is holy, we see that Jesus is holy. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15 say, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Do you remember how the priest in Leviticus was required to make a sacrifice for himself and his family and had to put on all this holy attire in order to enter into God's presence? This is not so with Jesus. 
He is perfectly holy with no need of anything or any garments to assist him. In fact, as the priest put on all this holy attire to appear holy, when Jesus hung on the cross, he was stripped naked because there needed to be nothing added to look at him and see his holy nature on display. Only someone who is completely holy can enter into the presence of God. And Jesus met that holy standard. And as our great high priest and sacrifice, he gives that holiness and the righteousness to meet that requirement freely to us. Third, just as we saw that the priest in Leviticus makes atonement, we see that Jesus makes atonement. Remember, atonement as we know it is the covering of sin by blood. Scripture is very clear that Jesus himself makes atonement for our sin. John 1.29 says, as John the Baptist looks at Jesus, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Ephesians 1.7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. In Leviticus, the priest made atonement for sin by sacrificing these goats and covering their sin with His blood. But Jesus makes atonement by sacrificing himself and covering us with his powerful blood, which leads us straight from priest to sacrifice. So how is Jesus the true and better sacrifice? Well, if we look at the two goats in Leviticus, we see both of their roles being fulfilled in Christ. First, in Leviticus, we see that a goat is substituted. And now we see that Jesus is substituted. First Peter chapter three, verse 18 says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. So just as this goat suffers and is killed for the sins of the people, Jesus, the lamb of God, suffers and dies in our place. As Peter says, the righteous for the unrighteous. Isn't this miraculous? The only righteous man to ever walk the earth chooses to willingly die and endure God's wrath for sin so that we unrighteous sinners can be forgiven. There is no greater love than this. Christ chose to lay down his life for the worst of his enemies. And as he hung on, even as he's suffering for sin, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's enduring the punishment for all sin. Asking God to forgive those inflicting it on him. He took our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, and served as a substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf. Church, this is a miracle. Not only is Jesus substituted like the one goat, but just as the other goat brought separation from our sin, Jesus separates us from our sin. Listen to Paul's words in Romans 6, verses 11 and 14. He says, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Jesus' separation of us from sin is much more than the symbolic nature of a goat running into the wilderness. It's a transformation from being dead to sin to being alive to God through Jesus. 
And the good news about Jesus is that his blood doesn't simply separate us from sin's guilt. His blood separates us from sin's authority and dominion. We are no longer in bondage to sin because Jesus has separated us from sin's punishment. And Jesus has separated us from sin's power. We have forgiveness and we have freedom in Christ. In Leviticus, we also saw that each sacrifice that was offered had to be completely spotless and blameless. And we see the same to be true of Christ, that he is spotless. Look at 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 19. Scripture says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Because Jesus was without sin, like we saw in Hebrews 4, we can confidently know that Jesus was spotless, perfect, and completely blameless before God. Remember, this is crucial because only a perfect sacrifice can be accepted for the forgiveness of sins. So since Jesus was like a lamb without spot or blemish, we can have full assurance and confidence that our sins are forgiven and our eternity is secure in Him. There is, however, one more way that we see Jesus as the true and better that isn't really mentioned in Leviticus because it's not true of that priest or that sacrifice at all. But it is completely true of Jesus. And it's that Jesus is sufficient. Let's read Hebrews 9, 24 through 28 together. I promise this is the last scripture I'm making you read. Verse 24 says, For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Church, Jesus is our great high priest. He hasn't entered into a copy of the holy place. He has entered into heaven itself. And he is appearing before God on our behalf even as I speak. We can have confidence that we have access to the Father because Jesus has graciously given it to us. Run to Jesus. Run to the Father trusting that he is our sufficient great high priest. And church, Jesus is our great and final sacrifice. He has appeared once for all to take away all sin. The blood of Jesus is sufficient for every sin you've ever committed and every sin you will ever commit. Our sins are many, but his mercy is more. The reason we can make that statement, the reason that statement is true It's because his blood is powerful enough to cover all of our sin. 
This blood covers our sin and it cleanses us from the inside out. This blood forgives us and it grants us freedom. This blood satisfies the wrath of God, saves us from death and strengthens us to fight sin as we pursue holiness. Remember his blood and rejoice in our final sufficient sacrifice. This Hebrews passage tells us that our great high priest and sacrifice will return again to finally and fully save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let me ask you something. Are you eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus? Or are you dreading what that day may look like for you? As the author of Hebrews said, Jesus has already dealt with all your sin. There is nothing you could have ever done to put you out of his reach. Nothing you could have done to prevent you from being saved by his blood. The spotless, perfect lamb was slaughtered so that you could be saved from your sin. If you haven't already, will you trust him? Church, let's eagerly await the return of our great high priest and sacrifice together. Resting in the work that he's accomplished and living for his glory among all nations.